Hello and welcome to Buena Vista episode 153. I am Ben, and I am here in the beautiful Madre de Dios region of Peru on the set of the movie Fitzcarraldo. The birds are singing, mm-hmm. dappled sunlight plays on the rich leaf litter of the jungle floor as the dense foliage sways softly in the breeze, and over here is Theo, who is busily attempting to staunch the bleeding from a bullet wound he sustained from a warning shot when a Herzog fired in the vicinity of Klaus Kinski. <laughs> Theo, hello. Hey, how's it going, Ben? <laughs> you know what? Enough about me. How are yeah. you? I, look, not ideal right now. Yeah. Um, in the sort of short view, I do not enjoy being shot with a bullet. Sure. Uh, long view, I don't know. I still got to haul this fucking boat. So <laughs> that's probably the worst thing not about a lot working. to look forward to right now. I would say between being shot uh, and having to pull a boat over a mountain. Mm. But it is, you know, it's beautiful here. So there's that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yep. Movie seems like it's going to be good. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Not really sure what. Okay. So so we mm-hmm. we yeah. as in me Theo, uh, director, uh, Vaughn Herzog, and uh, you know of course Klaus Kinski, mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the crew, uh, the slaves that we've enlisted along the way. So we are pulling mm-hmm. the boat. This boat over a mountain. Yes. But in the movie, uh, we are also pulling this boat over over a mountain. And you can see the connection there immediately. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, uh, so if you... I, okay, I can see that you seem confused by this, so let me yeah. break it down for you a little bit. The movie is about pulling a boat over a mountain. Sure. So we're pulling a boat over a mountain. Okay, I'm just going to suggest perhaps... Um, <laughs> Think back to I, I guess the magic of of early French cinema. You got the you got the horrible little rocket landing in the the awful moon yeah, in the awful right moon's into its eye face. Right. Yes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but they did not actually uh, pierce the armor of the moon with mm-hmm. a with a rocket. Yeah. To and produce that visage. Correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but it looked like absolute dog shit. You could tell it wasn't the moon. You okay, could tell I that s- rocket wasn't real. <laughs> I'm just saying that if you want a movie where Klaus Kinski is on a boat that's yes. moving over a mountain... Okay, which apparently we do. Yes, we, we've been told in a very dour German voice uh, <laughs> that that's very much what we want. You simply you put Klaus Kinski on a boat uh, and then you move that boat over the mountain and then when he doesn't want to do it, uh, you threaten to shoot him with a gun. Okay, now I feel like there's a better way here, but I also do not want to get shot with a gun again. Certainly. So I'm just going to leave it for now. Yeah, and uh, let's let's check in with uh, Andrew. Andrew's over here. He's he seems to be struggling a little bit. He's been given three jobs. Uh, first, of course, fighting off the various species of venomous snake that are around. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to figure out the logistics of moving a very big boat over a hill, and also trying to record Hollywood quality sound. You look like you're having a tough time, buddy. Well, some of us can multitask, and some of us can't. Which. Uh, you're in saying, order to prove, in order to prove my go-getter uh, gumption to mm-hmm. Werner Herzog, I have actually requested a fourth job, which is to be um, Miguel Angel Fuentes's understudy in the role of Cholo. Oh, and that's nice. Yeah. How are you doing with that? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. You you need backups in case someone else gets shot with a gun. And considering the amount of times that a gun is being fired around here. Uh, and the lack of access to any sort of hospital or medical facilities available to us, it'd probably be good if everyone had at least several understudies. Yeah. 
audience reviews for this movie on Google, five stars. No one will ever make this kind of film ever. <laughs> I would say pretty safe in that. Fingers assessment. crossed. <laughs> well, I I would go so far as to say someone did. You know, they're very absolute about the likelihood of this film being made, including the film itself. You know. Foolish language to use, especially, I hate it when people do a review of the movie that hasn't come out yet, from our point of view, seeing oh, we're still making right, the movie. Oh, right, of course. Right. We're still Sorry. making yeah. the movie. Yeah, we are, we're in Fitzcarraldo. though. And you so said the movie's Google. already out, then what is Theo doing hauling a, a boat over a mountain while bleeding profusely from the abdomen? That's so true. I will say, and this is not a criticism, Theo, you are actually doing a startling lack of hauling a boat over a mountain at the moment <laughs> while you're sitting down looking after your bullet wound. I'm, I'm just going to point out that shooting me in my hauling arm... <laughs> <laughs> this is also something I've been meaning to talk about. Been. If you could haul with both arms, <laughs> it would literally double your efforts. You don't want to favour one arm. Although and, at this point... for that to not... be your boat hauling arm forever. <laughs> That's so true. It's like you don't want to play Pokemon with just one really good Pokemon. No, that's right. You want to... Yeah. So those nuns that did the weird stuff about being left-handed, they were right to do it. Hmm. You know, let me just put this to you. If these people didn't want to be hauling a boat over a mountain, they wouldn't be here. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Much (laughs) like Australia's history, in which uh, apparently there was no slavery, uh, people just, just came on down, you know? They just came on down. It was like... The price is right. People were hanging out in some different countries and they said, Hey, I hear a commotion over there. I think it's the new neighbours. Maybe we should pop over, see if they need any help moving anything. And volunteer to move that stuff uh, for the better part of a century. Yes. Could we perhaps move all of your sugar cane for you forever in exchange for maybe some pizza? Oh, no, you have a whip. Oh. Oh, I live here now. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. So, folks, you know how uh, a bunch of countries are currently grappling internally with their long histories of racism, colonialism, and such? Uh, Well, Australia is no different, except that we apparently are just choosing to not have have that, not, not to wrestle with that, I guess? Yeah, I mean, wrestling is a lot of work. Oh, especially when you've got one arm in a sling... Your good hauling arm. How are you going to wrestle with your hauling arm all bandaged up, you know? Um, yeah, we were just talking about this before we started recording, how um, in America, obviously, there are a lot of people who are busy uh, slinging all lives matter hashtags around on the internet, arguing with their grandchildren on Facebook, uh, talking about how actually everything is great and equal and... It's all wonderful, and maybe if you, um, you know, hadn't have been there in your own house acting suspiciously, the police wouldn't have shot you. But um, there are things changing over there. You know, we've seen uh, a lot of the recent stuff like the the Marines and the Navy banning the Confederate flag, NASCAR banning the Confederate flag. Yeah, well, really got her done. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, there's been that sort of stuff. There's been the seemingly voluntary removal of... I mean, obviously, there's been statues getting pulled down during protests. But there's also been the just 
removal for, by you know um, city councils and state governments and stuff that can see the writing on the wall and have said, let's just take this thing down and put it away. But um, over here, we've had a few conversations about that and the Australian people are apparently not ready for it, including the Prime Minister, number one Australian person. <laughs> He's, well, we've, we've sorted out our rankings. Yeah, right up the top <laughs> there. And he reckons the very bottom person in Australia, you know, the 22 millionth or however a really many ugly baby. <laughs> <laughs> the baby. nothing, not even aesthetically pleasing. Yep. Yep. Nobody, nobody is commenting on that, the photo of that baby on Facebook. Oh, brutal. Imagine if you posted <laughs> like, uh, you know, welcome to the world, blah, blah, blah. Didn't get any interaction whatsoever. Not a single like. <laughs> Yeah, and and then like uh, a day later, you posted a recipe, and all these people were like, "Ooh, I'm gonna cook, love that. it." <laughs> What's worse, no response or just one person doing the the sad react? Oh <laughs> no! <else>? Ooh, sorry, <laughs> sorry oh, about dragging no. the baby. So, um, the prime minister was doing an interview with Ben Fordham on Two GP, uh, not racist, but number one with racists. No, nah, it's pretty racist. Um, and they were talking about the removal of statues, which I believe um, immigration minister or champion of the Australian border force for, I don't know, hitting you with a baton, um, Peter Dutton. He was doing an interview and described it as like everybody ripping pages out of history books, which <laughs> seems to be this. a, a yeah. fundamental this misunderstanding line. of the issue. <laughs> this so is good. This is the thing that we've all been talking about with the removal of statue stuff is that people say, hey, this is like 1984, man. You're rewriting history. You're trying to rewrite history and erase things. And people are like, no, no, history is still there. You got Wikipedia. You got your Encyclopedia Britannica. You got your history books, all that sort of thing. I think the fundamental change people are trying to make is, could we perhaps stop having literal monuments to slavers? It's so weird. It seems like there's like two fundamental understandings of what statues are for. The first being that they're there as a monument to that person, right? That the statue exists to say, hey, we're commemorating this person for what they did. And the second understanding is that they exist to jog your memory about history. You yeah. walk past one, you're like, ah, that's right. King George V existed. Fantastic. That's right. why we've I got a... Forgotten- uh, that 30-foot-high statue of Ivan Malat in rural New South Wales. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Don't oh, forget fuck. about him. Don't Just remembered him. Ivan Malat. <laughs> Got to stay out of that forest. Jesus. I actually, um, I saw somebody say, uh, I have learned more about history from these statues being removed than I learned from the statues when they were up. And I think that that's actually very, very astute because I feel the same way about all these things I've seen where it's like, Oh, uh, they had a, a, a statue up for this guy in the Netherlands and he killed 10 million Congolese people. And you're like, oh, <laughs> cool cool that you had a statue up about what a great guy this was. But it also it says a lot about the whole, like, you know, history is written by the victors thing. These are all the people who made off the, all the money off of, like, enslaving and... And beating down other people, and then they got to say, now put up a nice big statue of me in this town that I also own. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's there, there is this fundamental debate about, is this erasing history, or is this just saying, could we perhaps stop lionizing some of history's greatest monsters? Uh, so Peter Dutton did describe it as tearing 
tearing pages out of history books. Which, which he's read, by the way. <laughs> yeah. He read those pages before we, we got to tearing them out. Oh, imagine sitting down reading a big big book of history mm-hmm. every night. Imagine him reading a book at all. All yep. I'm picturing is him like sitting down, opening the book, and then immediately beating it into submission for looking at him funny. No, he's going to be one of these guys who just like sits down every night and reads the 19th Winston Churchill biography that he's read. <laughs> that that to me is like the essence of being a conservative who loves history is reading the one kind of history book about the one kind of person and then taking brief breaks to read Tom Clancy books and be like yes aircraft carriers are cool Mr Clancy you're correct <laughs> so um so the prime minister Scott Morrison was on Ben Fordham's show being asked about the removal of statues and he goes on to say well when you're talking about captain james cook in his time he was one of the most enlightened persons on these issues you could imagine okay i can imagine a lot of things yeah don't tell me what i can or cannot imagine i mean australia when it was founded as a settlement as new south wales was on the basis that there'd be no slavery was it can i can anyone do a fact check on that one And while slave ships continued to travel around the world when Australia was established, yes, sure, it was a pretty brutal settlement. Something, something genocide. Uh, No, no, he's talking about for white people. Oh, they they couldn't get the right kind of flour that they liked. There was a lot of rough stuff. My forefathers and foremothers were on the first and second fleets. It was a pretty brutal place, but there was no slavery in Australia. And so I think what we're seeing with some of these protests, they start on a fair point when they're raising issues about, you know, people's treatment in custody or things like that. Fair issue. But now it's been taken over much more politically driven left-wing agendas, which are seeking to take advantage of these opportunities and push their political causes. I'm pretty sure the political causes are are mainly stop letting the police murder people. Mm -hmm. I think. I'm happy to be proven wrong on that but um and he says i've always said we've got to be honest about our history we've got to acknowledge the positive and the negative but you know i think we've also got to respect our history as well this is not a license for people to just go nuts on this stuff hate it when people go nuts on this stuff i hate it when i uh it's such a pain in the ass getting your license to just go nuts on stuff you know you go down there you got to do the written test for your l's Got to be on your P's for ages. Yep. Got to be uh, supervised lessons. going nuts on this stuff. And those for... lessons are so expensive. You know, they really add up, especially with the minimum hours of going nuts on this stuff you have to do before you're allowed your open going nuts on this stuff license. It's like uh, when you get your driver's license and then you start getting the NRMA magazine and stuff, you know. Um, you get this license and then you start receiving Nuts magazine <laughs> in the mail. I actually already subscribed to Nuts Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, um, we this is a thing that came up in the early days of Punta Vista, the show to which you are listening. The, the earliest days, I would say. Huh. Like the second episode, I think. No, it wasn't that early. Um, it? We, had, we had a guest on, a friend of the show, Victor Rodriguez, and we were talking about Australia's strange fascination with blackface. And gollywogs and stuff, the people who love to do blackface and then say, hey, I didn't know it was bad, per se. And, you know, we were talking about how it's it's kind of weird because 
Australia doesn't have the same that same like history of, of slavery that America has. Um, to which somebody wrote into the show quite correctly and said, actually, there was a bunch of slavery uh, and I learned about a thing. Um, I learned about like blackbirding where they went to islands in the area and stole people in order to bring them over and work in sugarcane fields and all that sort of stuff. And they were, were enslaved Aboriginal people, all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, we, we immediately, the very next episode said, Hey, this person wrote into us about this. They're quite correct. Here are the details of it. We talked about it. And none of us are the prime minister. No, I think that's a that's one thing you can say about us collectively. At least, at least one (laughs) one distinction. But I think I think the other distinction to make was that, like, I I think what I was also trying to say in a fairly poorly worded way was that obviously Australia, you know, was built on stolen land. Um, There was a genocide of the of the people who lived here before um, European settlers came. But we don't have the, we don't have like the extremely, I guess, what's the way to put it? Obviously, there is the entire history of everything that we have done to indigenous people here. But America has a different history in the sense that you can walk around in places like, you know, Washington. You can look at the Washington Monument, that right there, built by slaves. Like, you can go all through the South and look at all of the plantation mansions. You can see all of these, like, buildings and massive structures and stuff from their history that were all built using slavery. Like, you can literally look with your own eyes at the infrastructure of the country that was built off the slave labor of people that they stole from other countries to bring there, you know? So I do think that it's kind of... um, it is uh, an also horrific situation there, but one that has has a different uh, has a different impact in the way that it is woven into the country's history and people's relationships with each other. So this is from the Guardian. Scott Morrison has walked back his incorrect observation that there was no slavery in Australia in Australia and acknowledged that quote all sorts of hideous practices have taken place during our history. The Prime Minister on Friday said the observation he made on Thursday that there was no slavery in this country related to the principles that existed when the colony of New South Wales was founded. That there was to be no lawful slavery in Australia. Cool. Mm -hmm. Asked whether the practice of blackbirding could be considered slavery, Morrison told reporters he didn't want to get into the history wars. Guys, I don't want to get into uh, facts here or... uh what happened in the past when we're talking about this stuff. I just want to say the thing I said. Ew, I've got <laughs> facts in my stuff. Um, I hate I hate when I'm forced to get into the history wars mm-hmm. in which I'm forced to read a thing and acknowledge what actually I hate, happened. I hate when there's a gigantic worldwide conversation going on about historic racism... Uh, in the fabric of of our various societies, and I've got to think about all this history stuff. I got to I got to think, got, read a book. I'm, Hate it. I'm just a I'm just a bloke. I'm just a guy. I'm not gonna read a history book. I'm just a daggy dad. I'm just a daggy dad. So, uh, we had uh, we had our usual press commentators and such weigh in on this. We had uh, Peter Van Onselen tweet. 
I genuinely don't think the factual mistakes the PM makes are willful. I think it's more likely ignorance. He's not that much older than me, and what we were taught at school was a very sanitized version of Indigenous modern history. He likely just hasn't updated his knowledge. And why would he need to? No. It's I hate this country so much. It's such a fun thing to think about that the the press gallery, the people who are supposed to keep um, our uh, political masters in in check don't believe that there should be any kind of like historical literacy as part of the process to becoming the leader of the country. It's like so fucking stupid to like right even if you take this at absolute face value right and you say he's just addressing like the cause right he just didn't look into it he just didn't know that's not an excuse in any fashion like it's not anything like if you are making comment or policy decision as the most powerful person in the country, not knowing about what you're talking about by not looking into it at all is exactly the same as just fucking lying about it. Like, it's a fucking insane thing to say. It's I can't I can't yeah. get over it. And especially because the the alternative to knowing what you're talking about is apparently just winging it. Yep, that's the only options. <laughs> Uh, this is also the same guy who uh, had a, just like kept digging in on this thing on Twitter where he was like, yes, the Nazis were socialists. It's in the name. And then oh, when a bunch yeah. of people got mad at him about it, he wrote a whole article about it. But like, people were wooed to me. Well, he, um, he does love to say, like, I am a professor of politics at a university and you can't get a job at a university if you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally true. Um, no, there's never been anybody who was employed by a university like, say, Jordan Peterson, who <laughs> got up and did just inane rambling. Hey, we've um, all seen lecturers try and use computers before. Yikes. So, we also had a comment from former foreign minister and former leader of the Liberal Party, Alexander Downer, uh, proving that... Basically, it goes a lot further to be a white person from the right kind of family in this country than anything else. With his comment that blackbirding may have been awful by today's standards, but it wasn't slavery. Slavery was abolished in the British Empire in 1833. Blackbirding began in 1863. So, as you can see, uh, QED. Well, you see, it's, it's very important that we help you understand the distinction. You see... Slavery was the practice of, like, deceiving or kidnapping people in order to work as unpaid labourers, yeah. often very distant to their native land. Yeah, your classic slavery situation. Whereas um, the other thing, it was coercing people through deception or kidnapping to work as unpaid labourers in countries very distant to their native land. But A that totally different, different thing. name. Different name. Totally different spelling. So is he just imagining, like... The, the slavery police, a real thing that, that existed and that, that, you know, people cared about at that time, were just rocking up to cane farms and going, hey, hey, uh, what you got there? Are those slaves? You guys doing some slavery? And they're like, nah, no, no, we're doing blackbirding. I think you'll oh, find cool. it's quite different. Okay, okay cool. Cool. And that's, your- and that's legal, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we looked it up. It's, it's blackbirding. We called it a different thing. Get your blackbirding license. You're yep. all good. Right here. Yep. Oh boy. And and uh, can I just go and have a chat to them? See if they want to be here. Ah, oh, 
wouldn't even bother. You don't need to talk to wouldn't, them. Don't, don't, don't go worry. look over there. It's, it's all good what's happening over there. Don't even worry about it. Hmm. So, um, yeah, awful stuff. Basically, just just tricking people into getting on a boat with, um, you know, lots of, of great claims of the wonderful life that they're going to have. Which, uh, very sadly, reminds me of the the Randy Newman song, Sail Away, where he's singing as a character. Um, like, the, the narrative of the lyrics is that he is one of the people who convinced, like... Um, Africans to get onto the ships to go to America. And so um, all of the lyrics of the song are about how wonderful everything is over there and how it's really great in America and you got as much food as you can eat and you know you don't have to do don't have to do anything that sucks. All you got to do is hang out with your family and everything and it's so beautiful to be an American. Um, and that sounds like exactly the same thing that blackbirding was. but, different name and plus they abolished slavery in 1833 Mm. so why would they be doing it 30 years later it's a classic rebrand well it's like how um how you know they they banned all those chokeholds uh for the nypd like years ago yeah so you know how they just don't do those anymore people are like yelling hey you can't do that that's illegal and they're like oh why don't you file a report with the police union? <laughs> um, so, just to catch up on this one, in an editorial on June the 2nd, the Sydney Morning Herald drew some parallels between Australia and the US's history on race, uh, but they also said there was no slavery here. So then they followed it up with this um, subtle correction uh, under the headline, Correction. <laughs> an editorial on June 3rd incorrectly stated Australia did not have a legacy of slavery. Australia bought about 60,000 people, largely from the South Pacific, as slave labourers between 1842 and 1904. Many indigenous people were also forced to work in conditions tantamount to slavery. Oh, as long as it's not called slavery, though. No. Well, it's only tantamount. Check and mate. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, we... uh, uh, it's it's all very weird because the closest thing that we have to this sort of conversation happening in Australia at the moment is taking Chris Lilly's blackface shows off like oh Netflix my God. and stuff, and then everybody going, "Oh, step too far." I mean, yeah, it's just the death of culture. It's so and- funny that like Australia has so few cultural exports. Yes, that like taking fucking Chris Lilly shows off Netflix means it's like all the Australian content is gone. God. All we had was the blackface sketch show and nothing yeah. else. Well, there's only so many things in white culture. You got blackface sketch show. Yeah. Uh, you got the key change going into the chorus for "Come On Eileen." Mm-hmm. Uh, what else is there? <laughs> no, that's it. That's <laughs> those it. two things, and we got rid of one of them. If they so, ever come um, for "Come On Eileen," we are fucked, basically. <laughs> and as as wife of the show, my wife Eleanor was saying when we were talking about this, she was like, it's very funny because, again, we're having the same conversation as we are about, like, taking down statues, right? Um, which is, oh, no, they are literally erasing history. They are trying to rewrite the narrative history. It's 1984. We're all in the book 1984. And, like, 
They're not coming around to your house and taking your box set of fucking Little Britain DVDs. <laughs> Although they should, because that show fucking mm-hmm. sucks. They should. But, um, but yeah, it's, it is simply a corporation making the decision to say, uh, I think that this society's standards no longer include us keeping this in the lineup, you know? And, like, I saw... <laughs> I saw... Uh, I saw a writer on um, Australian Twitter yesterday saying, Hey, remember when Mark Mitchell used to brown up his face and pretend to be Con the Fruiterer in in an affront to Greek people and Australians all just laughed at it? And I was like, no, I, I feel like the difference is that nobody has laughed at anything the comedy company has done in like 30 years. Mm, absolutely. It's not on anywhere. You can't see that shit. <laughs> no one is anywhere. demanding it. No one's like, hey, I pay $10 a month for this streaming service. Where is fucking Con, Con the Fruiterer? Where's Con the Fruiterer and Kylie Mole? You know? There's fucking none of that. The point with things like um, Chris Lilly's show and Little Britain and stuff like that is that they are on these services right now. And by putting them on the services, they're saying, hey, we think this is some funny content that you would like to laugh at. Uh, all of this blackface and, you know, extremely classist shit as well in Little Britain. All that sort of stuff. Like, just the... Hey, you know what's really funny is when people black up and do a silly voice. And it's like, you, you're holding it up right now as... This is something that's that's fine for everyone to have a laugh at. There was also um, a bit of commentary around this from Brooke Boney. Um, who is a presenter on, I want to say, Sunrise or the Today Show or one of those pieces of shit. Um, But she is an indigenous woman. And she was saying, oh, I think this is all a slippery slope, you know, to like rewriting history and trying to take all this stuff away. And she was like, you know, I, I want this stuff to still be around so that I can like show it to my family and say, see, see how badly treated our people were in the past. But again, no one's literally erasing all of this stuff from history. Like, it's still there. I'm sure that it... Are we proposing a second source of history? So the first source of history is statues, uh, and the second source of history is all however many seasons of Chris Lilly's Summer Heights High on Netflix. Those are now your two sources of history. What I'm proposing is... Uh, that we introduce a a new streaming service that's just all the stuff that is wildly problematic so that if you want to learn about stuff that sucked, you watch that one. Oh, the racism channel. Yeah, I'm yep. <laughs> the racism channel is sort uh-huh. of what I'm inventing here. Channel eighty eight. Oh no. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Australian TV kind of already is the racism channel <laughs> yeah, though. Every that's channel the is the racism channel. That's sort of the problem. Cause like, you know, I don't wanna I don't want to get into like uh, correcting an indigenous woman and and like I'm not saying she's wrong or anything for however she feels about it big pause but uh, <laughs> no like the, I, I was I was thinking about this and thinking like it's so weird because is is the idea that like all TV stations and stuff are supposed to keep carrying things indefinitely despite them not really fitting into like a, a modern society's idea of what is sort of acceptable or funny anymore. Yeah, you can at any given something moment. Something like Netflix, they have to continually update their licenses, right? 
to like continually pay for for new uh, for for the content that they yeah, for whatever choose to carry. And and I am sure that at any given second of the day, you could pop open YouTube or Daily Motion or whatever the fuck and say, "I want to see the computer says no sketch," and it'll go, "Okay, here it is." Which yeah. one would you like to see? Which there version? are 150, yeah. and none of them have a punchline. Uh, and they're all in glorious 240p. But um, all those things still exist. It's a matter of what are the things that you are bringing to the forefront of your culture and saying, hey, this, this is kind of you know where we think it's at. And it made me think of like, I watched um, Black Klansman for the first time recently. And uh, which is very good, very entertaining. And as it got towards the end of the movie, I'm going to throw out a big spoiler alert for several years old movie, Black Klansman. Please sure, skip. Right. No, yep, haven't seen it, of course. Haven't Please skip it. ahead by thirty to sixty seconds if you don't want to hear about the ending. But um, as it gets to the end of the movie, the whole it's it's all a period piece from the seventies about this real thing that actually happened of a of a um, a black cop who started a correspondence with David Duke of the Ku Klux Klan, um, and like a lot of it's played for laughs because it's obviously a, a concept that is like, even though it's real, is quite farcical at its core. And a lot of it's played for laughs and everything. And as it gets to the end of the movie, Spike Lee starts to intersperse it with these clips of things that are happening right now. Like the real David Duke, who is still alive, standing up and giving a speech about how great Donald Trump is and how he represents all of their values. And footage of like... All of the Tiki Torch Nazis chanting Jews will not replace us as they march down the streets. And like I think that a lot of the reason that Spike Lee's stuff is so affecting is because he often incorporates like real footage and like real old um, movies from segregation era stuff, you know. He has this uh, he has this habit of including like real artifacts from history, as if to say, Hey, by the way, I have a real chip on my shoulder about this stuff because not only was it all extremely real and extremely a part of American society's fabric, but it still is. It still is right now. To the point that, like, there is even... Like, the movie ends with footage from Charlottesville where Heather Heyer is getting run down and killed, which is, as you might imagine, pretty full-on. Uh, but it really, really makes the point. This shit is not only all real, but it is very much still happening. And like, I look at something like that and I say, hey, you're giving us like all the sides of this and saying, here's this stuff in the context of American society. It's not saying, here's fucking Little Britain. Here's like the blackface comedy hour presented completely uncritically, not only uncritically, but presented as here is a very funny and entertaining thing. And I just don't think that that is the kind of stuff that you need to be pushing to the forefront of people's entertainment anymore. It's, you're not erasing it. You're not rounding up all the copies of it in the world. It's all 100% still going to be online for whoever the fuck wants to watch it. I'm sure you can buy DVDs online right now if you want to. Not secondhand ones. I'm sure you can buy them fresh out of the box from wherever you want. They're all still there, but I think that it is fine for businesses to say, you know what, maybe we don't need to be elevating that above other stuff anymore. It's fine. Yeah. It's not, I, it's not erasing history. I think this conversation would make sense if like 
uh, every piece of media was available all the time from the same streaming service, and it was one place. But when it's something like fucking Stan or Netflix or whatever, where they have like 50 movies and 50 TV shows, the idea that taking it out now, when it's probably going to be taken off in like six months anyway, just because things rotate, it's fucking so weird. It's so strange. Like, yeah, I just can't get my head around it. I think a lot of people can't deal with the fact that, you know, a lot of businesses, whether cynically or otherwise, are choosing to make statements about this stuff. And, you know, in some cases, it's obviously completely opportunistic horseshit, like the Taser Company. Oh, my God. That was putting insane. Out a, putting out a Black Lives Matter statement. Um, hey, we believe in tasing all colors equally. Like... Obviously, some of that is is total bullshit, but it's also hard not to look at like the the breadth of companies and individuals saying, "Okay, not only do we need to actually keep pushing this forward, but also acknowledging you know some kind of um, complicitness in this as a as a thing." Although, if you want to go all the way in the other direction, I had a cringe overdose yesterday when I saw that video of like white celebrities in black and white all saying Uh, I have been complicit in white supremacy because like it just you you remember the video from a couple of months ago it seems like it was about 12 years ago of of all the celebrities um, singing Imagine in different keys I cannot forget it and I don't think I ever will oh one of the most painful things ever and I saw like uh, somebody post a tweet that was like hey where are all the celebrities who are singing imagine now while all this shit is happening and the answer is they were waiting for an opportunity to make it about themselves they're waiting for a way to say how how is this about me though how does this affect me how do i get to morosely stare into the camera and say hey this is the very personal effect this is about me just incredibly painful shit and like wh- whether it's disingenuous or image management or whatever it might be, it's it's just fucking painful to look at. It's very, it's very bad. It's very bad, and it really seems like people just making it about themselves instead of listening or amplifying any other voices in any way. Anyway, speaking of the racism channel, speaking of painful shits, speaking. <coughs> Painful shits on the racism channel. Uh, as we said, like it's genuinely hard to tell the difference on Australian TV between which TV show did the most racist thing this week. But um, some time ago, there was a segment on Sunrise in which Samantha Armitage, uh, radio personality Prue McSween, uh, and some other guy um, had a little chat about Aboriginal adoption, and I'm doing big scare quotes around that. But it turns out that this is from SBS. Channel 7 presenter Samantha Armitage and radio personality Prue McSween are being sued in the federal court over a controversial Sunrise segment concerning child removal in Indigenous communities. Led by Aboriginal elder Auntie Rhonda Dixon-Grovner, eight complainants have now taken their case to courts after they say the settlement negotiations broke down. Uh... In a statement on Thursday, Auntie Rhonda said, Sunrise platformed wealthy white women calling for a stolen generation 2.0 as a means of salvation for our young people. 
This shameful, profoundly hurtful and devastating display of racism was broadcast by a commercial television station into homes right across Australia. The dignity of all Aboriginal people and children was violated in our very own homes and lounge rooms. The segment in question, broadcast on 13th of March 2018, saw the all-white panel, including radio host Ben Davis, discuss Indigenous child protection. And who would know better? Who would know better than Prue McSween? who previously said uh, that she would like to hit Yasmin Abdelmajid with a car. Mm. Cool lady. Um, Please don't worry about the people who will decry and hand-wring and say this will be another stolen generation, Miss McSween said during the broadcast. Oh, okay. Just like the first stolen generation, where a lot of children that were taken because it was for their well-being, we need to do it again. Holy shit. <laughs> now, I just want to backtrack over this. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the people who will say this will be another stolen generation. Hey. Just like the first stolen generation, we need to do it again. I, f- I yep. feel like those two sentences don't really go together. Uh... No, no, they do, um, because she's saying, don't worry about it. The thing that I'm oh. about to say, <laughs> don't worry about it, because it's right. It's like when uh, you say, no offense, but. No offense, uh, you're off the hook. I'm not racist, but. Oh, boy. Um, later that year, the Australian Communications and Media Authority found that Seven breached the commercial television industry code of practice by including a factual inaccuracy and inciting contempt or ridicule on the basis of someone's race. Seven later agreed to issue a formal apology and pay an undisclosed amount to 15 members of the remote Yakala community in Northern Territory who were featured in file footage during this segment. Good Fucking Lord. Pricks. Joining Arthur Ronda in the group Complaints is award-winning writer, producer, and actress Trisha Morton-Thomas. Uh, She says, Aboriginal cultures practice responsibility and obligations to our much-loved children and our families. This is the core of our values. We ask to be treated with dignity and humanity as together we try to heal the hurts of the past 248 years. So, um, Prue McSween, in in her infinite wisdom, has decided to say... Uh, on Twitter, my comments on Sunrise, Ari, the stolen generation... Uh, sorry, I should clarify. This is a statement made post being told she's being sued for this, for racial vilification. My comments on Sunrise, Ari, the stolen generation, have been resurrected again as previously without any context. I was referring to the serial abuse of a toddler who was returned to an indigenous community. Those outraged would clearly prefer to turn a blind eye to this. Not me. Mm. Okay. She seems contrite. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, no one can work out why Prue McSween is on TV. No. No. Who is she? What does she do? I don't understand her Nobody knows. Very strange woman. And there are more. There, there are more people in Australia, right? You don't have to put people who have been sued for racial vilification on TV anymore. You just go, well, okay, well, that one's soiled. Move on to the next. I will say this. Um, I just people like Prue McSween are in constant danger of making me insanely ageist. Like. Just it's it's really hard when you're looking at the media and and like all political representation in Australia and America and everything, and every person is just this fucking geriatric rich white fuck 
just talking the most idiotic shit. Like, she's 68 years old. Oh, God. 68 years old on TV talking about how we need to do another stolen generation. Why the fuck is she on there? What is happening? Nobody can tell. And as far as I can t- as far as I know, this is a process that just happens by itself. By the way, there's no it, like we can't inspect it and say maybe we can pick and choose who's on TV. It does sort of feel like that, doesn't it? That just it's like just, it's evolved to the state that it is that there are 10 people that go on four shows. They all get paid 10 million dollars a year. Yes. No one is in control of it. No one even knows how the it's cameras really start rolling. It's really difficult to work out who's a celebrity. So what you do is you look at who is already a celebrity uh, and you put them on TV. Because you don't want to say someone's a celebrity and you put them on TV and be just totally wrong about it. So it's nice to be safe about it and put uh, Prue McSween, 68-year-old, horrible racist, on for uh, some reason. It's like how, how about with this? Uh, Australian comedy shows, the guys from D-Generation or whatever made all the shows of the 90s, so they should also make all of the shows now. Yes. I, I think... How's this, for a, how's this for a theory? I feel like Australia has this inverse kind of way of gauging who to put on TV, where, like, like we're saying, there is no ability to say, this person is no longer, like, culturally relevant in any way. This person doesn't have, like, anything coherent to say about things that are actually happening right now. Clearly... They were relevant to some type of conversation in the past. But generally speaking, once you get like several decades past that point, people will just stop asking you to appear on things. Like I feel like it's much more of a narrative in, a, in American entertainment to be like the has-been. Like all, all the people like John Travolta and shit who are these exceptions because they had like, you know, 10 years out of the spotlight but then came back. Uh, whereas in Australia, you don't have your 10 years out of the spotlight. The spotlight is just on the entire time. And like you were saying, Theo, as opposed to saying, is this person relevant enough for us to put on TV? It's inverted to, this person is relevant because they are on TV. Yes. And we will continue to put them on TV. And then when we ask who is relevant, we will look and see who's on TV. And it's you, Prue McSween, best known for being one of the beauties on a Foxtel revival of daytime panel discussion program, Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Hosted by Stan <laughs> Zemanek in 1996. So, I just, I just, yeah, it's very, it's very dismaying because, like you're saying, even people who are, even people who are like fairly well regarded, like degeneration type people, like you know, you just you look at like, um, you look at any of those shows, like the the panel shows and stuff that my parents watch. Uh, on the ABC and that sort of thing. And it's all just like the guys from um, Working Dog Entertainment. And they're all just still there. Still there. Working away. Like Santo Chilaro and Rob Sitch. And Tom Gleisner. Like just all these dudes who seemingly haven't made anything new in decades. Other than to be on shows where they talk about stuff. Very, uh, very depressing. So... You know, that's the racism channel. We also have uh, the, the racism newspapers. What's this uh, editorial you've got in here, Ben, in the old notes? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I uh, slipped this in uh, while you weren't looking. So this, just, this is something that got published this morning. Uh, this is from uh, 
the Daily Telegraph, I think it was also published in the Herald Sun, and it's from Sky News host Peter Gleason, who I the only thing I know about him is that the channel is trying really hard to push him as Gleeso. Oh fuck. Uh, but anyway, he wrote a, a fucking editorial in the Daily Telly under the headline, Where's the Real Justice? Uh, and this is the lead of the story. Let's put aside the idiotic decision to march during the height of a pandemic. That is their choice and they will be held accountable. The reality in this country and the US is that the greatest danger to Aboriginals and Negroes is themselves. Hmm. That you is- know, you, you, you're just really kind of preparing yourself for some old-fashioned racism when the word Negroes is used. Like, I don't... How? How is that... How? This country is so fucking insane that more than one set of eyes would have had to have seen this, right? I think at this point, the Daily Telegraph still has sub-editors, so that's at least one other person. It's also whoever the head of the editorial department is supposedly has to clear this. Although, although, here is a counter to that Mm -hmm. that point. Um, The last decade or so has seen, like huge amount of amounts of cuts to like sub editors all across the country and so now it's consolidated into like a small group in Sydney for all these different newspapers and any given newspaper that you do actually pick up and read these days is like riddled with typos in the print and the online forms Um, because you know obviously one person is given about 12 seconds to review an article before saying it's going to go up online but we also saw very recently this whole I'm going to call it a kerfuffle this whole kerfuffle with the New York Times printing in their um, opinion pages an editorial from Senator Congressman Tom Cotton saying, you know what the military should be out there doing? Murdering Americans. Um, he was out there saying that, you know, they should be calling out the military and the National Guard, basically turning America into like an occupied militarized zone in which they should be putting down these protesters by any means well, necessary. Andrew, we bought all these boots with taxpayer funds. What do you Who's, if you're not going to use them to step on people, then what's the point? What's the point? So um you know, the the there was a lot of fuss about this including lots of defense from um temporary Australian journalist um Barry Weiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she was talking about, you know, how, um, how oh, there's a big culture war happening inside the paper where some people think that, you know, you can't, you can't po- put anything in there that runs contrary to, like, popular belief at the moment and other people think that putting something in like there is necessary because then you can debate it and everything. There's all this sort of stuff going on until the fuss kept going for, like, a week or so and then they were forced to admit that like, nobody read the thing before they published it. There was, like, a lot of hand-wringing defense of, hey, you know, sometimes we have to print things that people don't agree with so that we can air these opinions publicly and have debate around them and everything. And then they were like, no, one intern looked at this and then yeah. published, like, a full-page opinion piece they've in the gone New York from, Times. They've gone from the editors saying, you've got to hear both sides, to the editors saying, well, I haven't actually heard either side yeah. uh, because I haven't read it. Um, it's probably somebody's job to do that, but I'm not sure whose. I was busy. But it's very important. Uh, I get paid $400,000 a year. Yeah. And he has since resigned. But in this particular case, I wonder if it's the same thing. Basically, you know, some harried person given no time to look at this thing. 
But also, it's the Daily Telegraph. Yeah. Uh, the and National Record work, of Racism. Call it satire. My goodness. I, I bet this guy, I bet this guy refers to himself as a satirist. <laughs> you can tell because in every photo, it looks like he's dying on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> There's a real rictus grin in that author photo. It's, um... Now, I know what you're saying to yourself. Hey, hey, I've got, um, you know, slavery-denying racists on one side. I've got Antifa terrorists on the other side. If only someone was out here to represent me, the smart person in the sensible center. They couldn't possibly be racist weirdos. No. Well, you can't be because the center is the neutral thing. It's It's... It's not in- having a bias. It's just letting it pass through you neutrally uh, with no spin on it whatsoever. <laughs> it's, 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 an it's, objective uh, truth about the universe is if there's two things, yes, uh, the objectively correct thing is the thing that's in between them. Yes, it's right in right. the center. You right. subdivide them, yeah. find the center, and that is what is true. Uh, letting it pass through you neutrally, like uh, Theo's mm. tasteless nutritional soylent food substitute. That's right. It's everything <laughs> the body needs. Are you still having those? Uh, I'll have them at night time. The uh, the sometimes the the um, pills they got me on at the moment really ratcheted up my my appetite. So uh, that's actually uh, it's been it's been good yeah, drinking that at night, putting on some weight. Superb. And then I lost it all by ending up in hospital. <laughs> and shitting out everything in your body. Congratulations. Yes. Huh. So anyway, uh, this is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Silent majority or fringe dwellers? A search for the sensible centre. Now, um, this is a thing that seems to crop up quite regularly in Australian politics. Um, remember when uh, the, the sex party transitioned into the reason party? And they were like, we're smart. We're smart because we think that sex is fine and normal. Mm-hmm. And also, we can't be called the sex party anymore. So, from this piece, it says, uh, trust in government is at record lows. Support for minority parties is at record highs. Fewer people want to join the two major political parties and technology is disrupting everything. And also, there is a pandemic on. Kind of forgot about that one for a minute there. Ostensibly, it's the perfect time to shake up Australian politics, which is exactly what Vern Hughes and Angela Vithulkas are trying to do. They're calling their movement the Sensible Centre, and they sincerely hope it's our next big thing. Thank you for putting sensible in the name. <laughs> now, when, when you show people your little badge that says you're a member, you can say, well, my one says we're the Sensible Party, and yours doesn't say that, so who's winning? Hmm? The pitch is simple. Elections are won in the political centre. Most voters don't see themselves as especially left or right. They just want their government to run smoothly, their politicians to be upfront and honest, and the vested interests to be left at the door. Hughes is a 62-year-old former historian from Melbourne with a long and colourful history of dabbling in dark corners of Australian politics. What the fuck does that mean? Oh, yeah, racism. racism. Yep, no, you're absolutely right. It is a little sinister, isn't it? Vitulkas is a 56-year-old business owner and City of Sydney councillor. Their vision is certainly ambitious, claiming to represent the 80% of us in the sensible centre of Australian life. They want to run candidates in all 151 lower house seats at the 2022 federal election. And while it might sound trite, they want to change Australian politics. It's basically stuffed, says Hughes. <laughs> this is Dave Hughes, they've switched you, right? <laughs> it's polarised. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Looked at the political parties. No, thank you. <laughs> Happy birthday. Oh. Good on you. Oh. It doesn't reform things. It doesn't change things. It's short-termist. It always tinkers around with solutions that help governments win the next election, but fails to address anything else. The question is, what can we do about that? Now, look. It's a pretty fair, pretty fair statement. Very polarized, not changing anything. Short-termist. Uh, they're only... The, the two major parties generally are only interested in helping themselves win power in the next election, and that's about it. I think that's fine. It's a reasonable... I would, I would sincerely love to hear, though, their description of where the Labour Party... The yes. Australian Labour Party falls. Is the Labour Party not already doing this? I, I, I just... And I want to just row back uh, a touch to say that, uh, you know, elections are won in the political centre. I want to drag the the boat back down the hill for a second. When did we we last see that? Like, honestly, it's it's astonishing. Anyway, anyway, I, I don't... Well, we've we've been leveling I the would... same criticism about the Labour Party for several years now, which is this is what they're trying to yeah, do. They've been trying to eke out the sensible centre for the last ten years. Like it's it's they've, they've anyway, spent I'd... they've spent all their time saying we're going to just shave off um, anyone further left than say. Like any anyone who would vote for the Greens is too far left, and also it's the Greens' fault for poaching their voters that they're entitled to. Yes, but obviously, you know, any any policies that are far left enough, they're just like, no, 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 that's going to alienate us from these people who are like only just have one foot in the Liberal Party. But it it leads to the same thing every time, which is by trying to say we're going to occupy this amorphous blob in the middle and make everybody happy. Instead, we just piss everybody off by seeming fairly non-committal. Like, it makes you seem like exactly what you are. A party with no actual principles. You are just trying to occupy this kind of range in the middle, free from any form of ideology. No, it's and it not, that they're, it's not that they're rudderless, Andrew. It's just that their rudder is exactly in the center. <laughs> they cannot steer. <laughs> so, um... For decades, centrist third parties have attempted to answer the question, what can we do about that? The most well-known example was the Australian Democrats, which Hughes joined twice during its heyday. He also had a brief dalliance with the Democratic Labour Party and in the 2000s tried to start a populist movement called People Power with shareholder activist Stephen Main. Shareholder activist. Shareholder activist. Uh, shareholder activist. People might remember this guy mainly, Stephen Maine, from uh, the time he had an enormous meltdown when the age went on strike due to staff cuts they were having, these mass firings. And then he published an op-ed with them on the day the strike was happening. Uh, he got called a scab by approximately 5,000 people, <laughs> doubled down on it for a very long time, and then eventually said, whoops, uh, that was bad of me. I'm going to donate the fee I got paid for writing it to some sort of charity. Uh, so, mixed. Hmm. Um, Clive Palmer's $60 million effort at the last election shared many hallmarks of centrist populism, though he cut a deal with the coalition and essentially campaigned against the Labour opposition. I ask Vitulkas how the sensible centre differs from Palmer's offering. Quote, besides that I'm thinner and prettier, <laughs> she jokes. He treated people and politics like a business plan and forgot there were people in play. And he had his own personal agenda. Whereas we have no agenda. Not us. No agenda. <laughs> 
no sex, Hughes, no agenda. Hughes says that Palmer's party was a one-man vanity project. By contrast, they are trying to create a grassroots movement. But the sensible centre has been slow to get off the ground, and its status is not entirely clear. Hughes says that it has about a thousand members and participants. Vitorka says it's a few thousand, and then later says it's two thousand. The joining well, fee as, is... you can, as you can see, the answer lies exactly in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> they have exactly fifteen hundred members. The joining fee is twenty-five dollars. They have not yet registered as a political party, but will have to if they want to contest elections. Plans to run candidates at Queensland's council polls in March did not come to fruition, but a state election looms in October. What the Sensible Centre does have to show for itself at present is a schmick website including a policy charter that stretches the definition of centrism. On immigration, it says our annual intake is, quote, unsustainably high. Multiculturalism is cumbersome and inorganic. So we're just diving right in, are we? (laughs) Just going right there. And refugees should be given temporary asylum rather than permanent homes. It also calls for, quote, ethnic enclaves in our cities and schools to be broken up. What the fuck? <laughs> this, uh, this makes me think of, like, every time that there is any, any kind of, like, party like this, sensible centrism, or anything about, like, um, population growth or sustainability or anything like that. Sustainable Australia, the fucking Dick Smith shit. It's it, well. It's always this like incredibly thin veneer over something that's going to wind up being this like horrible xenophobic shit. Like, um, you guys remember? Well, there you go. It was only last year um, that. So I, I, I remembered this thing from Cameron Wilson, um, who was from BuzzFeed before they got closed down. Um, and he was at the launch of a discussion paper by Sustainable Population Australia, a group that advocates for a significant decrease in net immigration. And that had Bob Carr at it on the panel as like mm-hmm. one of the speakers, had Bindi Irwin as the youth ambassador. And like he's, he's sitting there like tweeting this thing as it goes along. And just as it gets along, it just goes down and down to like... He said that, you know, this guy, um, Leith Van Onselen, this paper's author, says that Australia's population growth is the fastest, quote, in the Anglosphere. And, like, immediately, like, verges into... No, they all start off with, like, uh, we think that the marginal tax rates could be be fiddled around with a a little bit. Um, We need to support um, both, you know, infrastructure, but also small business growth. And then you sort of like zone out for a second and come back and it's like, well, with the with the collapse of the cruise industry, we can repurpose cruise ships uh, to and just pack them full of immigrants uh, and send them to Nowhere Island. And you just wonder how you got to this point. Um, so, so they even said during the course of launching this thing, and, and again, November last year, this isn't fucking 20 years ago, um, he says that the only party in politics doing it correctly is One Nation, but criticizes their way of doing it <laughs> with racist center. overtones. Uh-huh. No, we want to we want to do the the same thing but be nice about it. The problem is that we we want to have our policies of foreigners get out, but we don't like when it sounds racist. No, we want to be civil about it. Which um which yeah, coming back to it is the same thing with the Labour Party, where they're like, "No, no, we're we're the nice pro-multiculturalism people who also want to, like, 
keep our keep our offshore brown people gulags going, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Vitalkis rambles when asked about this policy. She says her parents, who migrated to Australia from Greece, quote, hmm. didn't come here because there were free handouts and they could just do nothing. Hmm. Interesting. Is that what today's migrants do, she has asked. The challenge with immigration in this country is if you talk about immigration, you're either a racist or you're not. It's one or the other. We, we want to occupy the space right in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> We're half racist. <laughs> uh, because that extremism has appeared, we haven't had a proper conversation. Lord. Across 15 policy areas, the Sensible Centre's charter also speaks of removing, quote, passive welfare for Indigenous Australians... And developing a, quote, self-help culture upholding the natural authority of families. <laughs> and this is the funniest to me to tack onto this. Capping private school fees at $20,000 a year. <laughs> I love the like, this... we, need, we need less brown people in this yeah. country. We and need... cheaper private schools. It's weird. Uh, it's pretty easy to see the kind of person that this sort of thing appeals to, hey? Yes, very specific weirdo. My goodness. Recently, the movement has focused on criticising Australia's response to the pandemic, accusing politicians of panicking, shutting down society and putting the economy in a coma. Its website urges visitors to sign a petition to, quote, stop the corona madness, which claims that Australia was protected from the virus by its geography, low population density and suburban backyards. Yeah, and you can tell that, by the way, that the coronavirus outbreak uh, had a massive peak and then we started to close down and that all went away. Oh, yeah. It's a coincidence. It was going away anyway because of the backyards. Because of the... <laughs> I went outside and coughed, couldn't make it over the fence. <laughs> I'd you know? stand exactly in the centre of my backyard to get all my sneezes out. Sensible centre. And then I go back among the people. Just... Just terrible. Just terrible stuff. And it's such a bummer that, like, this is the kind of political alternative that is being proposed, which is Labour's platform. What if racist but nicer? What if racist but more friendly? You know? And then they're proposing what if slightly less nice and slightly more racist to get it closer to the centre. Yes. <laughs> right in the middle where everybody wants it. Just none of this is going to appeal to anybody. Absolutely ridiculous. Makes me want to take a big, long walk directly out into nature. Country roads, take me home to the place I belong. Winter is nature That's right, folks. It's Nature Corner and your dick has been snipped. <laughs> That's how we'd introduce it if we were morning radio. <laughs> you listen to Nature Corner. It's the dick snip that doesn't stop snipping. That's right. Oh, boy. What do you got for us this week, Ben? Uh, I got a little story from the ABC Sunshine Coast. It's the Australian ABC, the first, the original. Uh, <laughs> mysterious sounds and lights in Lake Weber Bushland. Have some residents spooked. I hate to be spooked. Well, these people are being spooked, Andrew. 
while it may appear to be a paranormal phenomenon ripped straight from the X-Files, one expert says there is an explanation for the, quote, humming noises and flickering lights apparently haunting some Sunshine Coast residents. Talk of spooky experiences in the Lake Weber area have sparked supernatural debate on social media after Walker asked if anyone else had noticed anything, quote, strange at the Perigian end of Noosa National Park. I was walking there today and heard a weird humming sound, like a human humming a tune. Ker Eben. <laughs> Not sure about that name. Uh, it could be anything different to how I pronounced it, said in a Facebook post. It followed me for 30 minutes. It sounded like it was getting closer, too, before I left the fire track. Former Lake Weber resident Sarah Jane Stockton said she had also experienced strange things when she and her partner lived in a house that backed onto bushland in the area. We used to go walking down there a bit in the bush. We always had a feeling like we shouldn't be in there. A little bit of a spooky feeling, she said. You would hear strange noises through the bush like someone was walking parallel to you, but there wasn't anyone. <sighs> Miss Stockton said the strangest experience was when she was woken one night to darting lights. We were lying in bed. There's no fence between our house and the bush. And this really strange light appeared probably about three metres high and was darting across the front of the bushland, she said. At first we thought, is it a torch? But the way that it moved was way too strange to be somebody with a torch. We watched it for probably for about 30 minutes and then it disappeared. It was gone. Tim Bull, widely known as Tim the Yowie Man, is the Australian National Museum's resident crypto-naturalist, a term he invented, <laughs> meaning someone who studies rare, strange, and hidden phenomena in the natural world. That's the I best intro it. to someone in like a story, is being like, here's their name, here is their job title, by the way, they made that term up. It's so good. And that he's got a job. That's that's great. I mean, it sounds amazing, but he also sounds like a fucking wet blanket. Oh, no. Um, he said the lights may have come from houses or vehicles. Shut the fuck up, Tim. <laughs> uh, unexplained lights occasionally spotted in the Australian outback are known as Min Min lights, named after the remote Queensland town. Uh, Min Min lights are best described as strange balls of light seen bouncing around, coming and going, usually white, but sometimes other colours, he said. But no matter how close you get to the light, you try to chase it and reach it, it always seems to be too far away. Tim said Min Min light sightings were often just examples of light travel nearby. Light is bent around the curve of the globe due to different temperature layers of air, he said. When the light hits a layer of cold air, it contracts that light and it can push it around the curve of the globe. He said the humming noise... It sounds like he's just making this yeah, up. Yeah, that doesn't sound like real bullshit. at all. Uh, he said the humming noise may be coming from the ocean. Really grasping at straws here, Tim. Uh, there is a phenomenon that scientists can't explain in various spots all around the world, like a human humming or someone off in the distance, he said. The constant action of waves, even a couple of kilometres away, can cause low-frequency earth tremor. A Queensland National Parks and Wildlife spokesperson said rangers who frequently visited Lake Waver had not heard or seen anything unusual there. Sounds like a cover-up. <laughs> of course they'd say that. <laughs> I, uh, oh, I went ocean. to come on. I oh, know, that's bullshit. <laughs> The lights are UFOs. The humming is a ghost. It's that easy. It's a double ghost and UFO scenario. Uh, I I went to a spot in Texas that's meant to have a Min Min Lights type phenomenon, the Marfa Lights. And there's this like a spot off the interstate where they've set up benches and everything for people to see it, which is quite cool. Uh, I did not see them the night that I went. And it was also just deeply strange because of the nature of these things. There are no lights at the stop so that, you know, you're sitting in darkness and everyone's sort of sitting in this like hushed reverent silence. So I just like got out of my car, walked over. There's like 
maybe 20 people, but also it's really hard to tell because it's pitch black. So I can sort of see there are benches that I'll go to sit on one and then I'm like, oh, no, there's a person there. And sat there for half an hour waiting to see something. Nothing happened. No one spoke. I got up, got back in my car, went to a hotel, left half my clothes there and left. Scary, scariest thing he's ever seen. It was very spooky. <laughs> Tim the Yowie Man's going to be along any second now. Fucking all you, you, you're a man in black, right? And uh, and they're like, well, we've got to put you on assignment. You're going to become Tim the Yowie Man. <laughs> going to need you to get a Yowie Man costume. <laughs> uh, make up a, a job title and just basically say it's all false. We're going to give you $100,000 a year of dark UFO money. Oh, my yeah. God. Please Google Tim the Yowie Man and look at the images that come up. Less what people <laughs> is going on Hang with on. this gentleman's hat? <laughs> Tim the Yowie Man. <laughs> Hang on. So, if you... Oh, boy. Or, all right. So, if you're going <laughs> to look... <laughs> he stole a hat from look a witch. Like, like, this, <laughs> like this man who is just... Um, wandered out of the Australian version of Bloodborne. <laughs> An angry, diseased say, peasant tried to kill you. You have to at least say all of the stuff is true. What is the point of dressing like this and then saying, nah, it's, it's just weird light? <laughs> After a three-minute theme song to his TV show of Tim the Yowie Man with crazy guitar riffs going off, it just stops and he says, Yowies aren't real. <laughs> Um, Well, I mean, here's Canberra-based, the city in which I live. And according to yowieman.com.au, he does conduct a weird Canberra ghost and history tour. He says, this is the history they don't put in the guidebooks. This is a tour that shines a spotlight onto the hidden underbelly of the nation's capital. The unique three-hour experience visiting sites of crimes, hauntings, and murder in Australia's national capital. Visit the darker side of Canberra's past. <laughs> uh, he offers conference services? Uh, <laughs> let me read this out for you. Uh, Tim is a self-styled camera file. Uh, that's a pedophile that lives in Oh. Uh, oh, sorry, no, he defines parody, it. Someone parody. obsessed with everything to do with our national capital. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, although studying economics and law at the ANU, his career took a U-turn when he spotted an unidentified large, black, hairy, ape-like creature in the Snowy Mountains in 1994. Uh, he has since dedicated his life to getting to the bottom of mysterious phenomena, everything from Loch Ness monsters, vanishing lakes, to dot, 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 uncovering the real camera and surrounds. Spooky. It's weird that he looks so funny because I'm trying to imagine somebody obsessed with Canberra and all I can picture in my mind's eye is a perfect grey square. <laughs> I just love it here. Yep, just a featureless <laughs> cube. Uh, Tim the Yowie Man offers a number of unique services for corporate conferences and events held in Canberra. Tim can arrange a custom-designed day trip for delegates or partners to a range of attractions, from winery tours to secrets of national institutions to even visiting locations of espionage espionage in Canberra. Uh, he can tailor an itinerary just for you and all delivered in an informative, interactive and fun way. Tim is also a sought after, after dinner speaker at conference events. Uh, is he? No conference too big or too small. He specializes in providing an entertaining insight into quirky life in and around Canberra. I would kind of love to see him at a conference that was too big. Like, <laughs> There's 50,000 people here. I'm not equipped for this. Get Tim, oh. 
Gets him on the old TED Talk circuit, you know. Oh, he's got a testimonial section on his website, and there are two testimonials. First one is from Mark Bryce, Queensland Treasury Corporation. The best tour guide I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. There is no one who knows Canberra like Tim. Some know the political history better, but for stories about the real Canberra, Tim is your man. And then there's a second one from the Canberra Times. No one knows Canberra like Tim the Yowie man. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's literally him just taking you around to the War Memorial Old Parliament House, all very brightly lit and saying, there used to be a ghost here. (laughs) 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 I uh, I don't believe that an Australian Prime Minister haunts a popular Canberra hotel. But maybe I should go on the tour. Well, maybe um, you should. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's the most Canberra thing ever. Hold on. The tour <laughs> The tour departs promptly at 8pm from the 7-Eleven petrol station in Braddon. <laughs> awesome. Itself a highly spooktacular location. <laughs> oh, I went to get a blueberry Slurpee, but it was actually lemon flavoured. <laughs> Oh, $99 a head. Worth mm. every penny. This is an Careful official endorsement of Tim the Yowie Man and his tour and conference services. Wonderful. Uh, I did click on the link that says, uh, see the calendar of experiences for dates and booking details. Uh, page not found. <laughs> well, he's probably, you know. That's in- true. He's probably had to bloody shut it all down due to the pandemic. He doesn't want to be introducing any more ghosts to the already very spooky Canberra. Well, I think that's it for us, folks. Thank you for stopping by, listening to the show. Um, I think we've stopped Theo's bleeding. Well, that's good. Uh, Well, I I have run out of blood, so in a way (laughs) you're right. There is some sort of strange green liquid coming out of it, but I mean... Feverishly uh, chugging Soylent in an attempt to replace his vital fluids. <laughs> I've got to get my fluids. You need those precious fluids. Thanks for joining us, folks. If you would like to support the show, uh, you can head to patreon.com slash Vista. If you have a question for us, uh, you can send an email to the email address that I'm not sure if Ben is monitoring with any particular vigor, mailbag at buntavista.com. Send something in and we'll see if he's checking it. Well, let's find out. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.